You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, which is part four of the sermon series, This is Family. For more info, please visit creekside.org. How are we doing today? Enjoying the rain? Serious? <clears throat> uh, are you watching the Warriors? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, this is the thing. We had a new Oregonian come first service, and we were talking about it. So uh, I'm, uh, I got to tell you, I, I, I can't lose this series. I love the Blazers and love the Warriors. So it's a good deal. Good deal either way. Um, I want to pray, and then we're going to get into our series today, and I'm going to start it off with a clip. Father, uh, thanks for your incredible love for us, that song that we just uh, gave praise with, your reckless love. So thankful, Lord, that um, you pursued us. John said that we didn't choose you, you chose us. We just are simply responders to the love of God. Lord, there's great teachings and truth within that, Lord, for our families. And I pray, Lord, that you would challenge and encourage us today in the context of marriage and family and relationships. So, Lord, speak to us in and through that in your name. Amen. Hello. You guys, honestly, it is so nice to be out to dinner. I mean, between the kids and the band now and your work schedule, I feel like we never get this kind of time for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much have to go to a show if I want to schedule time with my wife nowadays. <laughs> That's not really fair. Neither's Ben keeping you out till, you know, well beyond 11 most nights. He doesn't keep me out past 11. I'm teasing you. <sighs> Miguel and I have something to tell you. Yeah? What? We're getting divorced. What? Yeah, um, it's, uh, it's not an easy decision, but obviously things haven't been right with us for some time, but, um, it's for the best. Yeah. And we want to do it before things get ugly and we're still friends and we can co-parent and Miguel and Shelly? They're... Miguel and Shelly! We can't get divorced. She's been unhappy. And you heard them. There wasn't one thing. It just happened. No. No, come on. That's BS. You don't do that to your family. You find your soulmate. You get married. You stay together until you die. Period. It's not always that simple. It is to me. Well, not everyone is you. Yeah. And sometimes people just drift apart. I wasn't... I wasn't talking about us. I'm not Shelly. You're not Miguel. Okay? Okay.
we're using some of the storylines of this show, uh, This Is Us, kind of talking about family because I, for me personally, it does such a powerful job of really integrating and understanding some of the things that take place in families without being over dramatic. There's drama to it. I find that interesting that these families are going through this and they use language like for some time. And that's usually the way it happens in relationships. Uh, You can tell by the second conversation that they had in their home that they said, well, it's not one thing. And again, in most relationships, most marriages and most families, it's not one thing that unravels a marriage or begins to break apart a family. It's almost always a buildup of a few things, a little things that go on. They don't get addressed. They don't get dealt with. Have you ever bought or sold a home? If you have, you understand that one of the first things that you have to do is you have these inspectors that come to your home. One of the inspections that you have to have is a home termite inspection. They want to come in and check and see if there's any infestation of these pesky little varmints called termites that can be bring mass destruction to a structure, to a home, to a building. Most homes, um, there are more homes that are destroyed in the United States by subterranean termites. They do over $2 billion worth of destruction. It causes more than all of the fires and windstorms combined in the United States. Isn't that interesting? But it's, the truth is, is most of us never see them. That's why I got to have a professional. That's why I need an inspector to come in so he can come and look in all the right places and in the right ways because I wouldn't know until most of the damage was already done. But they come in. Most homes and families are destroyed by the little things that take place day in and day out, week in and week out. Are we? That's crazy, isn't it? I was up at five this morning. I go, wow, that's wild. But I got a friend that says, oh, in the South, that's just a little shower. Well, here it's like a downpour. But when you buy or sell a home, you got to have a professional come in to be able to identify uh, those areas. And I want to talk today just about some of the termites in our homes, some of the termites in our relationships, the termites in our marriage that can begin to just uh, cause problems. And we don't even see them or we might notice them, but we just blow them off or we hydroplane over them or we get beyond them and we never face them and deal with them. But they ultimately begin to destroy and cause destruction to the foundations of our home. I want you, if you would, to look at uh, the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon, chapter 2. That's where we're going to jump off because it kind of gives an illustration of this. This is a wonderful book. The Song of Songs, uh, it, it, it expresses this deep affection. It's a tender love story that that shows and it's filled with all of these wonderful romantic scenes of love between King Solomon and his bride. Uh, I would probably give it an R rating, not because it's raunchy, but because it's very, very romantic. If you begin to move beyond and understand some of the Hebrew language of it, it's, it's very, very sexual and very, very romantic. So the context in here is that Solomon is standing outside and he's talking to his bride. He's outside her window, probably in an isolated home in some hills. 
And he's talking about her coming away with him, his beloved. They got places to go and things to do, very romantic. And you'll just see in this little interruption of his, of his little statement to his bride in verse 14, he says, my dove. You think, oh, big deal. But think about a dove. It's white, it's beautiful, it's soft. It's pretty. It's free. It's white. It's just, it's, there's, there's a lot of things when you begin to think about it. That's how he addresses her. He says, my dove, who is in the clefts of the rock, in the crevices of the cliff. That's why we think that probably her home is set off into, in, in some hills, kind of by itself. And he says this wonderful thing. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Let, let, because your voice is so sweet and your face is so lovely. Okay, okay, gals, when was the last time you had your husband talk to you like that? <laughs> and, and anybody like within the last, are you serious? Wow, that's, that's awesome. Oh, my wife's raising her hand. She just wants to make me look good. <laughs> I think I just call her. Oh, my dear, you bring so much sweetness to me. Just like that dark chocolate candy bar we're sharing. You know, that's about as, that's about as, and it probably was, I don't know, five years ago, but moving on. So, so you got all this wonderful romantic language, and I'm thrilled that some of you say, yes, my husband does that. That's awesome. But all of a sudden, there's this shift, and she says to him, not quite as romantic. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruined the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. I love that. So all of a sudden, there's this kind of this inner, uh, unexpected interruption and change in the tone. Why is that? Well, well you kind of need to understand the Hebrew imagery here. Uh, the couple's vineyards uh, represent their growing and delightful and loving relationship. And the blossoms uh, really speak to the new and exciting love and things that are changing and taking place in their life. But they both understand that there's this new and beautiful and wonderful thing happening. But, but, but she said, but the little foxes, we got to get them. Why is that? Well, because foxes are nocturnal. They work and do their stuff and are up and around in the dark. And, and what the little foxes, little foxes would do is they would creep into the vineyards and they destroy the roots by gnawing on them. So you got the vine that's of the budding love of this couple that was tender and it needed to be protected from the little foxes. What do what the little foxes symbolize? Well, it, it's really an example of the problems in life that may come to gnaw away at the relationship. And obviously, if there's too much biting away, if we want to use our vernacular of termites, pretty soon the foundation becomes eroded and eaten away and ultimately falls and is destroyed. They understood this. Isn't that wonderful that even 3,000 years ago or so, people understood that there's little things that can come and destroy and cause a breakdown in a marriage. And I want to look at some termites to be able to identify today. 
I want us to see what is it that really can begin to hurt and, and break down some of the things in our marriages, which ultimately, especially if we have kids, it can begin to break down the family structure and will ultimately always inflict things upon our children. And here, here's another clip that just kind of reinforces this, if you'd see it, please. So what is never it? heard of a Puerto Rican Irish? She's Puerto Rican. She's Puerto Rican. Maybe I'll learn. You know. Mm-hmm. So, Heather, can you give us the room? Of course. I'll be at my desk if you need me. I'm sure that I will. All right. Hey. Are you having an affair with Heather? Are you crazy? Huh? I would never have an affair. I wouldn't do that to my kids. So what the? What? What happened, huh? And don't tell me that you just, you drifted. We did, Jay. Yeah? We drifted, yeah, we drifted, okay? Not everyone's like you and Rebecca. What do you... You want to know why my marriage ended, Jay? Hmm? Yeah. Okay. Um, for as long as I can remember, I've woken up at 6.30 every day, make sure I coffee. Splash of milk, two sugars. I would make it and bring it to her in bed. <laughs> she says that her day doesn't even start until she's got caffeine in her veins. And then one day, I woke up 6.30, like always, and I made myself one. I shouldn't feel like making Shelly one. And the worst part is, she didn't even notice. stop noticing each other, Jack. We stopped trying to make each other happy. When we realized that, we knew it was over. Now, I think that every single couple has a handful of these moments when you reach a crossroads. Sometimes it happens early on, the first fight. Sometimes it happens 10 years in when you've had the same fight about taking out the trash every night for a week. They're make or break, these moments. And you either, <laughs> you either roll up your sleeves and you fight what you've got, or you decide that you're tired and you give up. And I had one of these moments when I didn't make Shelly her coffee. a great truism there that it just it just happens you start making little decisions that begin to draw away and erode the relationship now, Paul gives us some some things that he says uh, be aware of these things because they can begin to erode the structure of your family and your marital foundation he's writing to Christians And as he's writing this book of Ephesians, it's really a letter to churches, and it's really the first three chapters help us understand the function and ways of the church. And then he comes to chapter four, and he gets very personal and moves from the church corporate to the church individual. Uh, We understand that we are the church, but now he wants to highlight this is how you're to live based on being a part of the church, and he makes it very practical. 
And we're going to look at uh, a passage in the middle of chapter 5 because at the conclusion of the passage we're going to look at today, he moves right into and kind of crescendos into the family unit. He talks about how husbands are to love their wives. He talks about how wives are to align themselves with their husband and to show respect and to nurture and to give honor to them. Not in some weird way, but just to respect them. And then he moves into chapter six and talks about the rest of the family unit, how parents and fathers relate to their kids and how they relate to one another and how their kids are to relate to their parents. But right here in the middle, before he gets there, he begins to talk about some things that I believe become termites that can begin to affect our home and break it down. So if you pick it up in verse 15, we're going to read about five or six verses here. Paul says, I want you to really become Christian. I want you to become consistent in your walk with God. And he says, pay attention then to how you walk. And don't be like unwise people, but be wise. I want you to make the most of your time because the days are evil. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I don't want you to get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but I want you to be filled with God's spirit. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music to the Lord in your heart. I want you to always be giving thanks for everything. I want you to give thanks to God the Father and in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And while you're doing all this, make sure that you're submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And I want to just walk you through this passage and give you four or five things there that you'll see on your note that he's addressing. Uh, One of the first things he's talking about is don't lose your focus. Notice what he says here. He says, be careful. Be careful to walk, not as unwise, but be wise. So this, this idea of being wise means to kind of look at something with great care and intensity. Look closely. Look carefully. We would understand this probably to walk gingerly, to establish ourselves and we walk according to accurate requirements. Where do we get that? How do we understand that in the context of marriage and family? Well, we get it right here in the book of Ephesians and in other places in the scripture. We walk this way because we understand it's how we're to manage and to conduct our lives, all of our relationships. I suppose together in this verse, it could simply convey the idea. Keep on taking an account of how accurately you are conducting your life. Are you in alignment? Are you doing, are you living generally to the best of your ability the way that God has called you to? He's saying, Paul's saying, be aware, man. Don't lose focus. Don't lose focus of where you started in your relationship and then where you need to go. And and here's the deal. What makes this difficult is oftentimes it's a call to really some gut level honesty. And painful kind of self-inspection, self-evaluation. Because that's what it takes, self-analysis. When you get into a relationship, it's always two people. And Paul says, don't lose your focus. There's a standard here to measure yourself and use God's word to do that. Use it to square up your marital relationship. He says, I want you to be wise. Don't be unwise. Because we're to have this clear focus because without it, Marriage and family can get 
pretty chaotic. It can get pretty confusing. You know, the language that we saw in those clips is the typical language that we hear today, isn't it? They don't tell me you're drifting, but you do. Don't tell me you just grew apart, but we do. Why is that? Usually it's because we're not intentional. We lose focus on what we want to see happen. We lose focus on what we want God to see to do. We lose focus on what he says, live this way and do this. And we just begin to kind of skim the relationship. Then he goes on to say, I want you to watch another termite that can come is that you focus on the busyness of life and the business of life. Paul says it this way. He says, make the most of your time because the days are evil. And and listen, friends, all of us know there's, there's evil things all around us. But I'm not sure even in this room, it's possible. I don't know everyone very well, but it's possible there's some evil things that have affected you. But I'm not so sure that it's always the evil things that really take us away. I mean, there are times that take us away and break down the family and the marital structure and relationship. Sometimes it's really good things. How many families have I seen that they just get so busy with the busyness and the business of life that they begin to move away? It's so easy to simply fill our time instead of fulfilling our time. We rush from one thing to another. We do this, we do that. And they're good things. We're helpful. We're we're helping people. We're helping the church. We're helping our work. We're working longer hours. We're doing more. Sometimes we have to, uh, sometimes because we choose to, because we've lost sight of our priorities and our family. One of the things that our staff and our leadership team at Creekside is we're talking about right now, we're talking about this very thing. What are our priorities going to be for the next season? Uh, Jim Collins, uh, who is a business writer, leadership writer, wrote a book called Good to Great. And he studied all of these different corporations. And the thesis, the, the underlying theme of the title of that book is simply this. Good always becomes the enemy of great. A business when they're doing something good. A church when they're doing something good. A family when they're doing some good things. They can continue to do them and continue to do more good things. And ultimately those can become the enemy of great. See, when I was, when I had younger uh, kids that lived with us, and now we have our uh, grandsons, but when I had younger kids that lived with us, our boys growing up, uh, I did everything I could to make sure they were involved in sports and activities, and I would do everything I could to work my schedule around to be able to coach or to be at their games. And I encourage you to do the same thing. But it's also possible that over time, you can get so involved And you can have your kids or your own life doing so much that you begin to get removed from the church. People say, well, should we miss a game to come to church? Yeah. Go be the church out there. Because that's really the true test of our Christianity. Can we begin to share it and to love people in the way and the life of God when we go and do these things? Because ultimately the church, this is an important gathering time, but ultimately it's what we do not here, but what happens when we go out there. But that said, some people can get so involved with so many activities, they're going to and fro, and they lose connection with their family. 
Paul goes on to say, I want, you to, I want you to grow in being sensitive because it's so easy in the midst of the busyness and the business that pretty soon we lose our focus and what happens then? That's when we're going to become pretty insensitive. And it just builds over time. As you saw in these clips, that's what was taking place in the relationships. Paul says it this way, don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The word fool there means thick. It means dull, insensitive, unaware of the feelings and things going on around you. It's written in this present imperative tense, which means present and ongoing. And what he's really saying is stop being thick. (laughs) Now there's a new line for you if you want to say that to your spouse. Would you just stop being thick? But you probably better be careful with that. I just thought that there's a lot of ways that might go. (laughs) But when a person starts to become thick in their thinking and their reactions, they really become pretty insensitive. You know what they're really saying? I don't know what's going on. I don't care what's going on. And I don't care to find out. Paul says, do not allow this attitude of being thick, being foolish, to bite away at your marriage, your relationship, and the foundations of your home. I saw an article on how many women, uh, they were talking about how women, a large number of women, go to radio silence after years of attempts to improve their relationship with their husband. Now, I'd never heard the term radio silence before. Have you heard that? Yeah, what, what it is, is just simply it's when, when somebody who consistently communicates quits communicating. They're like a radio. If you turn a radio on, it's always going to be talking and communicating. It's going to go from a show to an advertisement to music. It's just always going. And they say one of the signs for women that things have gone south is they quit communicating. Or it could happen with the husband. If you're used to him communicating, all of a sudden, they stop. And it's just kind of, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I know. Whatever. Couples and consultant coach, lastly, Doris told Best Wife, many men are blindsided by their wives asking for a divorce because they think everything is just fine for him. Did you know that women instigate about 80% of the divorces? And it's usually oftentimes many years after feeling unheard or having their concerns in the relationship minimized. So what's Paul saying? Don't be thick. Don't think that everything is fine just because it's been a while since you've had an argument. Don't be thick because you think it's all good because somebody isn't nitpicking or nagging you. Be aware. Be proactive. Take the initiative. Here's what they say to do. Don't be insensitive. Don't be thick, but do this. Ask your spouse. Tell me. How's it going? How are we doing? How am I doing? What do you think about our relationship? Trina used to do this a lot where we'd go out and I would just ask her, tell me, where do I need to grow as a man? Where do I need, where do you see me? Where do you see my weak spots? Where do I need to grow as a father? Where do I need to grow as a pastor? What what do you see? You live closest to me. I would recommend spouses that you do that. 
You get away from the family. You get away from the kids. And you just say, what do you need from me? Initiate it. So it doesn't have to be, oh, man, I'm afraid to bring this up because, wow, if I bring this up, it'll bring defensiveness. And they'll get mad and they'll be upset. No, initiate it. Set aside times. Because otherwise you find yourself, you can find yourself in scenarios like this where all of a sudden it's, I don't care anymore. Because it's amazing how people won't bring things up if they don't think that they can or they'll be heard. Or if it's been said 20 times, they just go, yeah, whatever. And they begin to move away. If you're doing this, if you're in this place right now where you are thick in the relationship and you're not listening, you're not, and you're being insensitive, I want to say stop now. <laughs> Sometimes you just need someone to tell you, just stop. We go, wow, okay, <laughs> if it was that easy, I probably would have done it. Well, how do you do it? Well, by understanding, Paul says, by understanding what the will of the Lord is. Understand that God has given everyone, male and female, husband and wife, children, roles in the relationship. And the app, they're, 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 they're concrete principles, but they get lived out in different ways. You go, well, what's my role? Well, if you keep reading into verse 22 through 30, God lines it out pretty well. You know what he starts off with? He says, listen, wives, I want you to, he says the word submit. I use the word now align. I want you, because it's a, kind of a, is, is a military term, that you come into alignment with your husband. And then they go on to say toward the end of the chapter, and wives, respect your husband. It's hard to respect somebody when you're always picking on them, when you're always picking and putting them down instead of building them up. No man feels respect when that kind of thing happens. What does he say to the woman? Excuse me, to the man. He says, oh, this is easy. Just love your wives like Christ loves the church. You know, when I do weddings, I've, I've had two times where, and I think I've done probably 100 weddings, but I know I, I changed the word to alignment instead of submit. You can call me chicken, I don't care, because I explain it to really make sense. But I had two ladies over all these years come up to me after I used to use the word submit. And they come up to me and go, you are so archaic. You are irrelevant. You don't have a clue. How can you use that word that a woman should submit to a man? I don't know. I never thought of it because <laughs> I'm not a woman. But here's what I know. If you understand the meaning of it has to do with alignment and you work together, it's not the C, he's not the CEO, but he comes into your life and he becomes your husband like Jesus because that's what the Bible says. Husbands love your wives like Jesus loves the church, like he loves you and he loves me. You know what that means? It means we, we, we lay down our wives, lives for our bride. We don't only lay down our lives for them. We sacrifice for them. We put their needs before our needs. We speak to them in the language of love. Oh, whew, we listen to them because they are of great value. And what they say, how they think has incredible value to balance out a lot of our thinking. And all of this, when you've got a, I, I, I have never, and I'm sure they're out there, but I've never heard a, man, a woman complain to a man, about a man and his leadership when he leads, when she feels like she's getting loved like Jesus loves her. 
And I've never seen a man complain about his wife when he knows that he's not perfect, but she respects him. She builds him up. Doesn't put him down. Doesn't nitpick at him. When you trust and you respect each other, man, this is going to make a big difference in your home, in your family, and in your marriage. And you can disagree with this if you want. That's fine. I think it's Bible. The way I understand it is I tell families this all the time. Here's the deal. I believe it is much more important that the woman loves the husband and the husband loves his wife. I believe that love is more important than the love you give your kids. Because here's the problem. In a lot of marriages, we begin to focus so much attention and time on our kids, we lose track of that relationship. That God said, this is for the rest of your life. Well, so are the kids. But you know what they do? They grow up, they move out. They're going to be gone. And then you're going to be looking at your spouse and you're going to go, where did we lose it? Where did we drift? It's because the love began to be greater for those kids than it was for one another. Well, tell me how you get that from the Bible. Well, I don't know, but it says something like this, that that husbands love your wife as Christ loves the church. So if I'm loving my wife like Christ loves the church, and we understand 1 John says that we love because Christ first loved us, my kids are going to learn how to love better because they see how I love my wife or how the wife loves the husband because that will be one of the greatest reflections of Jesus that your kids will ever see. I don't know about you, but some of the great, the, probably one of the best compliments that I've received is when my boys look at me and they go, dad, I want a marriage like yours. Dad, I, mean, I, I, I want it to be like you and mom. And we're not perfect. I mean, well, she is, but I'm sure not. <laughs> You know, I'm kind of a relational mess at times. But the bottom line is, is that's what I believe our kids need more than lavishing them with everything. Now, hear me. I love my kids, and and, and I know you do too. I'm not diminishing our love for them at all. I'm just talking about the priority. And, And the other thing he talks about here in the verses is a stubborn heart. Uh, This one, this stubborn heart ultimately can lead to a hard heart. And when you begin to get a hard heart, the scripture talks about, man, you got to come in there like you got to have this big old John Deere plow and you got to go in like a column. I just start cutting things up if it begins to get hard because it starts with stubbornness. And then pretty soon it begins to be hard. And what you thought was going to be wedlock becomes to dreadlock. And this termite comes in and begins to eat away and it communicates things like this. You know what? I'm tired of you. I'm tired of your ways. But you know what? I'm not leaving. I'm going to stick around. We're going to do this for the kids. Come heck or high water, we're, we're, I'm just staying. Now can you, and I want to be careful here, but imagine a relationship like that, what the kids see. What do they see? They just see you're going to gut it out and you're going to be stubborn. You're going to have a hard heart and you're not going to feel any love coming out of that relationship. And what are they going to learn? Well, they're going to learn to grit it out. No, what they're not going to learn is how to work it out. Because God doesn't want us to grit it out. God wants us to persevere and work it 
out. He says there, be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. See, that's the key. When you begin to get a stubborn heart, when you begin to get a hard heart, you have to step back and say, oh, that's right. God says, I want me to be subject to him. I want, he wants me to be subject to her. See, this is one of the things. Everybody, very few preachers that I've ever heard start with verse 21. They go right to 22. Wives do this, husbands do that. But if you don't understand verse 21, 22 through 30, husbands and wives becomes hard to understand in a biblical context because if I understand that I'm to submit to Trina, I may lead our home, but she has equal part. And I'm going to submit to her. I am going to align myself with her as much as she aligns with me. But I got to be the one that's kind of throwing the stuff out there, leading the band. And if I submit to her, here's what I understand. I'm going to align myself with her for this reason, because before she was my wife, I had two other relationships with her. You know what they are? Uh, She was my sister. And you know why she's my sister? Because she's God's daughter. Whoa, <laughs> that's serious. I've never had a daughter, but if, if you have a daughter, you know any guy messes with your daughter, there'll be problems. And I wonder if God isn't the same. But I also know that I would defend my sons and take care of them and do anything for them. And it's the same thing for God. Don't mistreat his son. And see, when we begin to understand the relationships in that context, It'll change how we husband and wife with our spouses. So how do we terminate? How do we terminate these termites? Well, I want to give you just a few simple things here, but I want you to watch this other clip and just pick up on the language of it. Hey, Hi. Hi. So... I was trying to remember myself tonight, Jack. The person I used to be. And then I started remembering you too. And I'm not the only one who gave up on my dreams, Jack. We both did, right? And we, we realized an even bigger dream, an even more massive dream. And I'm, I'm still really upset. And I don't think I'm ready to talk about any of that yet, but I shouldn't have let you leave. And not just because of all of the beautiful things you said, I shouldn't have let you leave because that's not what we do. That's not who we are, that's not us. I know that, that's not us. I know that I'm not deeply unhappy and I'm not unfulfilled and you're not an alcoholic and you're not your father. And even when I watch Tom Hanks, I sit there and I think to myself, he's not so great. And who does that? Who watches Tom Hanks and thinks, you know what? I'm married to a man that's better than that. Meg, you don't know everything about me. Yes, I do. No, Rebecca, you don't. I'm drunk right now. I have been drunk all day. I have been drunk for weeks. And I thought I had it under control, like, the first time, but... I have a problem, Rebecca. 
when I've hidden it from you for a very long time. And I've, I've hidden it from my kids. And I need to get a handle on it before I can walk back into that house. I'm sorry. Baby, I... I'm very embarrassed. And I am very sorry. I need to fix this on my own. backlog on that a little bit is that she sent him out, kind of asked him to leave because he was upset they had an argument over her being in a band, being out late. And then now all of this other stuff kind of comes out. Did you catch the language? We both. We both. We both. Then she changed it. This isn't what we do. This is not us. See, you begin to have some principles and some convictions about your family. This is not us. We're not going to let this thing go. That's not who we are. But it's so easy to turn to the, I want this and you're this or you're that. And see, it comes back to the very beginning, doesn't it? In Genesis, when Adam and Eve, it talks about their whole relationship once they took of the fruit. They hid and they run. They ran and they hid from one another, from God. That's what people do today. That's why marriages don't make it oftentimes. I'm not, I gotta be careful. I know I'm making some generalizations here, but that's where it starts. What do we see there? We see they begin to open up and communicate maybe about some things that they really haven't. She relays to him, Jack, this is who we are. This is what we do. We're not stopping here. He begins to open up to her to say, this is my issue. And honest and open communication is critical that you name it and you say what it is. Oh, it might not be for him. It was alcohol. Incredible father in the story. Maybe it's not Alec, maybe it's something else. Maybe it's some of the things we've already mentioned and talked about. But you've got to over-communicate. You cannot read each other's mind. Never assume the other person knows what you mean. Never assume that the other person knows what you meant. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. Even when miscommunication 
happens. Double back. Check with, if necessary. And always when you communicate, loved ones, do it with grace and with truth. Because here's the facts. Whenever you begin to speak truth, you always want to couch it with grace. If you can't, step back. Take a time out, as we talked about last uh, two weeks ago. But with truth has to be grace. And that's what she did. You've got a problem. (laughs) We've got a problem. And we're going to work it out together. And this is particularly good advice for most men because we can assume that everything is fine just because our wife isn't communicating about something. And it's one of the biggest signs that men, husbands miss and they get sideswiped by divorce. Secondly, invite God's spirit and presence. We see that in 518. Don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled with the Spirit. Paul's focus here isn't the distilled spirits, but he calls us to drink deeply of the dynamic life and work of God's Spirit to fill us with his presence and to begin to fill our homes because he's filling us and to begin to fill our marriage because he's filling us. I loved what Jack said. What did he say? I've got to take care of this. I've got to own this. That's the first thing every person in a marriage has to do. They really, they have to mature up. And instead of doing what they did in the garden in Genesis 3 and blaming and pointing fingers, they got to go, this is my stuff to own. And I believe that only happens when you have this Holy Spirit working in you. What do you mean? Well, there's a second inspection that you have to do when you buy or sell a home. You got the first one is the termite. And then you have the inspector that comes in and he looks at everything. What does he do? He climbs under the house and he, he's got this little flashlight and he's looking all around. Oh, there's a pipe. It's got a little, little leak that you didn't even know about. He looks over under here. Oh, you got this problem over here with this post, a foundation. And then he comes out and he checks the faucets, he checks the washer, the dryer, the dishwasher. He looks at all of the stuff, the lights, the fixtures, the light switches, checks them all. Why? Because he wants to see if there's any area that could become a problem down the road. Here's the question. Does God's Holy Spirit, as he says here, does he have this freedom to come and live at home in you? Or is he just simply a guest that you kind of go, yeah, I I, kind of hear what you're saying to me. I know I should change that, but I'm a little stubborn right now. I don't want to. No, actually, I want to give her a piece or I want to give him a piece of my mind that I really will regret later. But right now it's going to feel really, really good. And you've got this Holy Spirit in you the whole time that is saying, don't stop. Don't go there. Stop. Zip it. Walk away. Step back. Pray about it. Think about it. Don't. But what do we do? See, that really kind of determines if the Holy Spirit is really at home in your home. And ultimately, that's going to determine whether the Holy Spirit fills your home and your marriage and your relationship. When he speaks, will you listen? When he speaks, will you change? When he speaks to you, will you stay? When he speaks to you, will you take responsibility for your part? The 
command here is to allow him to fill you. And you cooperate by simply, loved ones, being open. And you surrender to the Holy Spirit of God day by day by moment by moment. Because as Miguel said there, yeah, there just comes a moment. There just comes these moments. There comes these crossroads. And we want to remember Remember your commitments. Genesis chapter two, verse 24 says, God calls us to leave our family and to cleave to this person. It's the picture. When we get married, it's the picture of coming together and becoming one. It's like two boards being glued together. You don't easily separate that. It's committed. A UCLA study of 172 married couples over the course of 11 years found that the ones who remained married were the ones that realized that being committed meant this. I'm committing to doing what it takes to make the relationship work as opposed to I like this relationship and I'm committed to it. See the difference? I'm committed to making it work. I'm going to do my part. See, it's easy to be committed to your relationship when it's going well, but every relationship, loved ones, hits rough spots, tough times, where the pain levels become so high, you have two options, and most of us understand what those are. It's fight or flight, and neither one of them are really acceptable unless you fight fairly, and we may talk about that next week. But we have this thing in our brain that we... We go along and, and things happen and things build up. And then you get this voice that says, and I got this from Henry Cloud, a Christian psychologist, and he says, it says this, it says, break up. You all hear the voice, you know. Haven't, haven't probably almost every one of us that's been in a relationship gone through this at some point where you hit a wall and you think I'm tired? And the easiest thing is the word comes, break up, and you've got the house sold, you've got the, the divorce papers out and signed, and, and you know who's going to get what. I mean, just in a matter of nanoseconds, break up. Here's what he says to do. He says, do this, step back, take that thought, break up, put it on the shelf, and replace it with this one. Step up. Be mature. Step up. And commit to do whatever it takes on your part to make the relationship right and work. Don't allow the flight syndrome to take over. See, we have this... See, when, when we're dating and all the endorphins are firing and all the chemicals are moving, uh, Cloud says that it's like being psychotic. What's the definition of psychotic? That you're out of touch with reality. Because this person that you're running with, this person that you think you're in love with, they're ideal, they meet all of your needs, they're gonna be there for everything. They don't argue with you, they share their food with you. When you go out to eat, they do everything that you could ever want and then you get married. And then they don't share their food with you anymore. And then they start to question and challenge and ask you things and ask you to do things. And pretty soon, all these endorphins and all of these chemicals in our brains begin to get diminished and they just kind of go down. And we don't have all those feelings anymore. 
unless we continue to be committed to making them happen because of our expressions of love to our spouses. We get tired. We step back. We begin to hold things in. We begin to not traffic in truth. We begin to not traffic in grace and truth. And then we get harder hearts. And we forget that our marriage is to be a reflection of Christ's life in and through us. I I don't know where you are today. I don't think it would be a bad assumption to say there's probably at least a person or two in this room that would say, nobody knows it, but I'm on the brink. And I want to challenge you today, take a step. For some of you, it's time that you have a critical conversation of where you are with your spouse. And don't leave here today, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it next week, next month. Do it today, start today, not tomorrow. But you have got to have honest communication. Maybe some of you just say, you know something, I'm really not sure. I think everything's good. So take this little five points and use it as a checklist. Go back to the word. How are we doing, honey? How do you see our relationship? Or maybe you need to sit down and just say, what a great marriage we've got. Let's just take 15 minutes or half hour and let's just talk about the blessings of God and how I love you and why I love you. And just reiterate that so you don't take it for granted but you honestly communicate your love. Maybe some of you just need to start with simply calling on God. God, I need you in this situation. And if you don't come, I'm toast. And if you don't come, we're toast. And then for some of us, it might be this next step where you go, I need a counselor. I need a third person to come in. And you make sure that your spouse is willing to do that. You'll notice in this passage, and I'll be done, he talks about singing psalms and spiritual hymns and words that you're giving praises to God. Where does that usually happen? It usually happens here. It can happen at home. I hope it happens in your home. I hope it happens in your car when you're just driving. I hope it happens when you're jogging or walking. But it usually happens here. And I don't want you to forget this, loved ones. There's a lot of people in this church that you've never connected with a connection group. We're going to call them community groups in the fall because we really want them to make a difference. Some of us are lone rangers. I'm so strong. I can do it. The most disappointing thing that happened to me, probably uh, one of them in my years here, is finding out that people got divorced and I don't find out about it until it's done. Nobody seeks help. Let's just get out. I believe that what our church, we got such incredible people in this room right now that have walked with God for years and they've experienced everything in marriage or almost. But I want to hook them up with our younger families, our younger couples that start struggling and where we begin to mentor down and mentor across. Because I want this to be a place, it already is, but a safe place where you can say, I've got this struggle. Who can I find to help me? And the first place is you start by getting connected in community. Lone Rangers, you know what they do? They always get shot out of the saddle. But when you got Tonto, a Creeksider, (laughs) 
I'm telling you, it's going to be better. And you'll have help.